Hey, you, for, you didn't check one. You accidentally forgot to check one. Oh, man, it is so nice out it's today. Beautiful. You would not believe what happened to me the other day. No, what? Well, I was like, <laughs> Wait, you forgot the pin! So Bobby, can you invite anyone to church this Easter, man? You know, I know I should, but I'm, I'm coming up with blanks with ways to invite people to Easter. God damn! <laughs> The Easter basket is full, but the tomb is empty. I know you're in there, Bob! <laughs> Give him a hand, would you? That's pretty funny. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I guess, I haven't seen them all, but I guess on our Facebook page, there's a whole bunch more of those. So if you're interested in that kind of thing. See, this is why they don't show me this stuff ahead of time. Right there, right there. I love it, though. It's so, so much fun. How you doing? We really are gearing up. I can't believe it's Holy Week. And a lot happens here at Timberline and many other churches around the country and, uh, and really the world. We're about to wrap up our series Today is kind of the, the, the power of a painful time in the life of Jesus. It's the week before resurrection. And boy, a lot of things happened in just those few days that were very difficult for Jesus to, to, to face. If you have a program, go to the back page and we'll follow along on this outline. But I want to just ask you a couple of questions and maybe get us started thinking here. How many of you can think of like a worst vacation in your life. How many of you have one of those, a worst vacation? Okay, I, I have, Bonnie and I were talking about this this week, about one time we had, we have three children, and when they were just little, they're two years apart, when they were just little, we had a Suburban, and we went up through Wyoming, and on the way back, we stopped at, at the Tetons, which are amazing, and then we decided to camp, and we thought, it's a big vehicle. We had a mattress for the back. We had some cooking gear. Campgrounds were full, so we pulled off into the wilderness. And boy, 10 minutes out of the Suburban, I'm unloading stuff, and this big mama moose and baby come trotting right up next to the Suburban, probably within 10 or 15 feet. And mama's looking at us, and the kids are like, oh, let's go touch it. You know, I'm like, uh, no. How many of you know mama moose are mean when they have babies around and they can kill you? And so I was very cautious and didn't want the kids out of my sight. And then, and then all of a sudden it started raining and it got dreary and more moose showed up and we're having the kids stay right here and we couldn't get a fire started. And, and then the mosquitoes were carrying off our children one at a time and, and they were floating up in the air. I was just like, this is a nightmare. And repellent, insect repellent didn't work. It was just, how many of you understand what I'm saying? How many of you can say holiday in? <laughs> holiday in, yeah. You know, you think 300 bucks is a lot to pay for a room for five, but I'm telling you, I'd have paid 500 that night in Jackson Hole. That's one of the worst nights that we have had. How many of you have a worse date experience? few of you, come on up and tell us about it. We, 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 worst date. I know you have this, a worst food. You know, if, I, if, I, if we took the time, wouldn't it be fun to just say, what's the worst food experience you've ever had? Well, if you could put a category like that in, in the terms of a week, 
this would be, in my opinion, even though Jesus doesn't say that, the worst week of his life. You know, if you ask someone what's the worst week of your life, it's going to immediately go to something serious. It's not going to be humorous because we get over that stuff. But when you talk about pain and you talk about loss and death, losing a spouse, a child, a loved one, a dad or a mom, when you talk about the real painful things in our lives, it's not funny at all. And that's what we're up against today as we look at the life of Jesus. Now, I want to say something that's a teaching moment for us here at Timberline. And I love our our Timberline family. Thank you for being a church that allows people to grieve properly. So many Christians, in all my research and study for this message today, I came across so many cute little one-liners of Christians that try to encourage other Christians who have had severe loss by saying, oh well, God is still with you. You got to get over it. You got to move on. I just like to propose that sometimes in the Christian circles that we run in, especially here at Timberline, that we learn when to just be quiet and sit with someone and hold their hand and be their friend and not offer a lot of counsel about getting them through this because grieving is a very important part of our lives. Let's let people grieve. You may be grieving today, and we're not going to push you through that. Healing doesn't come without grieving properly for your sorrows, the sadness that takes place in your life. So we're looking at that as we walk into this. Number one in your outline There's no way to make this happy. It was an emotional yo-yo ride for Jesus. When I was a a kid, I loved the yo-yo. Anyone ever play yo-yo or have one? Most of us probably did. And uh, the key to that thing is to just get that motion and get it spinning. If you get it spinning, you can do all kinds of tricks with it and learn new tricks. There's there's books with all the tricks with the yo-yo. But I think one of the things that I want you to know is we use the term yo-yo ride as an emotional up and down meter. When the yo-yo is up, it's a good season. It's a good time. I'm doing really great. But when it's down, it's an emotionally draining time in our lives. And so we often say this week has been like a yo-yo ride, meaning it's been high emotion, low emotion. I've been depressed. I've been encouraged. I'm just not sure where my emotions really are. That's what's happening in the life of Jesus. Listen to this. Palm Sunday is today. It was probably the happiest day in the life of Jesus in terms of recognition that he is fact, he is in fact the Messiah. He's, he's coming down. He's riding. Some of you just got back from Jerusalem. You were on that road that leads down into Jerusalem. And, and he's riding a colt. And all of a sudden, the people are cutting down palm branches like they do for Roman kings and royalty. They're putting it in the path. They're they're screaming out, chanting. They're singing, Hosanna, son of David, which means you're the Messiah. We know that. You really are the king. That hasn't happened before in Scripture. So often when he heals people, he says to them, shh, don't tell anybody. Go back to your village. Keep this to yourself. The religious people in most communities can't stand him. They're looking for ways to kill him. They're looking for ways to run him out of town. But on this day, it's his day. 
And it is exciting. And he's recognized as the Messiah. And all these wonderful things are happening. If you look at chapter 14 in the book of Mark, and we're in chapter 15 today, if you have a Bible, just lay it open, and you'll see all of these things that I'm about to read to you unfold. But just a recap from chapter 14. It's the Last Supper. How many of you know what that is? The disciples are with him. Someone's going to betray him. He announces that. We know it's Judas. They leave the table and they go to pray in Gethsemane. Jesus needs them. He's emotionally weary. They go to sleep. He comes back and says, wake up. I need you to pray with me. Three times this happens. Why? Because he's feeling the emotion and the weight of what? The sin of the world. Did Jesus know sin up to this point? No. Now here's the miracle of it all. He's never had this on him before. And yet he has come to earth to take the sin of the world, your sin, my sin, all the sins upon himself. And he knows it. And I think it's, it's very emotional for him. That's why he wants his friends praying for him. They come and they capture him. Peter denies him. They have a false trial. Trial. They pronounce him guilty. They blindfold him. They beat him. They mock him. They false prophesy with him. They slap him. It's, it, it gets really, really bad. Number two in your outline. Is your fate in someone else's hand? This is probably one of the toughest things of all for Jesus. Why? Because he's God. You know, if you think you're in control, just try being God for a day. He's God. And here he is, Mark 15, very early in the morning. The leading priests, the elders, the teachers of religious law, the entire high council, that's all the important people as it relates to religion. They met to discuss their next step. Now look at this. They bound Jesus led him away and took him to Pilate, who's a powerful man. He's the Roman governor. Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus replied, you have said it. Which basically means he's not denying it. This is one of the first acknowledgments that we have in Scripture that Jesus is saying, yes, in fact, I am the Son of God. He says it in other ways multiple times. Now, this is a big moment in Scripture. So I have friends who we have, I think, civil conversations. Maybe they're an atheist or they don't believe in Jesus the way I do. And I like having friends like that. I like talking about doctrine and theology with people. But one of the things that often pops up, especially in wonderful Fort Collins here in northern Colorado, are people who just can't quite get their head around the fact that Jesus is truly God. Like the Son of God. And so I had someone not too long ago actually say to me, well, Derry, I, I believe that Jesus did a lot of good. I know that he really walked on the earth. History proves that. But I think he was just a really great prophet, but not the Son of God. I took him to this passage because he was interested and other passages where Jesus did not deny being the Son of God and actually proclaimed that he was. And I'd like to just point out, if you're a really good prophet, you're not going to say you're the son of God. Amen? Only a bad prophet would say that. So either Jesus is a fake 
and he's deceiving people or he really is the son of God. You can't have any middle ground here. You believe it or you don't believe it, but don't be somewhere in the middle. That's foolishness. Honestly, it is. Any acknowledgement of being the king of the Jews would have been blasphemy. In this day and age, blasphemy meant you died. It would mean the death of Jesus by crucifixion. Jesus knew that he was in fact the king of the Jews and the king of all other people groups. He did not back down from that. He knew he was the son of the living God. He knew that sin, the sin of man, needed to be dealt with once and for all so there would be no more animal sacrifices. Jesus knew that his sinless life would be exchanged for all the sin committed by all who had gone before him and all who would come after him. Us, these evil men who were playing God in this story had no idea that they were doing exactly what had to be done for this story to become true. It wouldn't have happened without this crucifixion and this death. When I go through really tough times in my life, I suppose I should put this in the form of a question. What do you do when things get tough? What do you, what do, you do when it's really, really hard? This, this was just handed to me recently. It, this actually was written by someone in our band today. And they had a really hard time going through something that re, they felt rejection. I'm not going to read all of it, but he wrote a song. I have seen you in the rustling leaves, God, swirling and turning as the cool autumn breeze drops them down to the ground. I have seen you in the waters splashing and churning as the roaring waves rhythmically come splashing down. I have seen you in the eyes of a child gently pressing his hand into mine with a tender I love you and a kiss on the cheek comes a tear of joy to my eye. And the smile on his face sends my heart into space and releases all worries and care. And Lord, I knew you were there. But where are you now? I feel so alone. In a room full of loved ones, I'm a stranger so far from home. Where are you now? Lord, I can't see your face. Please bring back that joy I once knew. Let my delight be in you. Where? Are you now? Ever been there? I have. Fortunately, not very often, but I've had a couple times in my life when it was the low of low and I didn't know what to do. I think you have three options when you're in that place. And let me tell you what I'm, there's more than three, but let me give you three. They're not on the screen, but I'll just make them real fast. Number one is you can quit. And a lot of people do. It's so bad, it's so dark, it's so deep that they give up. God's not real. He's never helped me. I'm at the end, and I just quit. It's rebellion against God because God is not fair, and that's the best answer you can come up with at the time. I understand, and I've seen people quit. The second thing you can do is endure it. By the way, usually people who quit, who had a real faith in God, come back because they endure it. And they realized that it was foolishness for them to cut the cord to God. Sometimes I just, I just have to get through the dilemma, the pain in my life. Sometimes I don't know where God went. I call it putting it in neutral. And even as a pastor, there are times when I have to put it in neutral and say, God, I don't, I don't really like this. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. 
If I were God, this would not happen. How many of you have ever said that to God? (laughs) And I can't even say I fully trust you in those moments. Because I'm bewildered, I'm hurt, I'm wounded. The third thing people do is they embrace, they embrace God. They embrace the situation. And that's what Jesus is doing in this painful time in his life. Is he's saying, I'm going to embrace these words, the whip on my back. Matter of fact, he even says on the cross, Father, forgive them. Why? He had a bigger picture than what we have. I see this far. I see temporary. I don't see 10,000 years from now. Jesus had the ability to see beyond the pain, and that's what gets us in trouble. Normally we don't. Young people, listen, that, that heartache, that depression, that discouragement, don't run off and harm yourself. Don't run off and think it's the end because through time, God can reveal himself in ways that you have no idea about today. We need to encourage our young people. We have a, a terrible situation with suicide in Larimer County. We need to really be encouragers of our teenagers to love them and let them know there's a plan beyond what they see and beyond what they know. Why am I surprised that Christians have suffered? I don't know. I, don't know. I guess Jesus tried to warn us. He said, in this life you're going to have what? Trouble. Sin came. When sin came, a lot of bad stuff came. Jesus doesn't cause all this pain. God doesn't cause all this pain. That's part of this life on this earth. And we need to get that. We need to understand that. God has promised to be with us through it all the way to the end. Number three, let me keep moving. The feeling of being falsely accused. Man, this is a tough one. This is a tough one. How many of you have been falsely accused before? Just wave your hand at me. Okay. uh, It's a terrible feeling. I haven't that often, but occasionally. I remember, I don't know, it was fifth or sixth grade. I got blamed for hitting the teacher with a spit wad. And I honestly, I promise you, I did not do it, okay? I I did provide the rubber band, but I did not do the spit wad, okay? So I, I was a little involved, but I didn't take the shot. And I took the rap for it, and I got in trouble for it, and it was just a kind of a terrible feeling, but... But this is a whole other level. The leading priest kept accusing him of many crimes. And Pilate asked, aren't you going to answer them? What about all these charges that they're bringing against you? But Jesus said nothing, much to Pilate's surprise. You know, I'm, I'm always horrified when Bonnie and I, every now and then we, we get, I'm not a big TV watcher, but, but every now and then I get a little binge going on these, these criminal shows, like documentaries where Someone is, you know, they've been in jail for 20 years for murder and now the DNA comes out and the testing and they find out that it's not this person who did the crime. And I'm just horrified by that. I'm thinking they've been in jail for 20 years for a crime they didn't do? That's awful. I just can't imagine that. Sitting there day after day. That's really what's happening in the story of Jesus. He's being falsely accused. They're making up stuff to get him to be crucified, and he's just sitting there taking it. He's listening. Man, I don't know. I fight back if I'm falsely accused. I'm like, no, I didn't do that. Here's why. Here's, what, here's the truth. You want to know the truth? That's our typical response. Jesus knew that he needed to represent us, even with false accusation. 
Listen, someone saying something false about you these days is pretty serious. Would you agree? People have lost their jobs. It's cost them their family. It's cost them a lot of money. It's cost them a career, even their life. And Jesus took it all because he saw something bigger. He saw something of value called you and me and the people on this earth. Even though it wasn't fair. It's not fair. It feels good to say it. Come on, say it with me. It's not fair. Oh, come on, really mean it. It's not fair. Doesn't that feel good? It's not fair. This life is not fair. But it really wasn't fair for Jesus. Number four, love is greater than power. Now, this, is, this goes beyond my comprehension quite a bit. I wish I could comprehend it more, but this one gets me the most. Love is greater than power. Pilate asked them, the crowd, then what should we do with this man you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded. What crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder. Crucify him. So to pacify the crowd, what a statement. What a statement. To pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them, who was a criminal. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. I've often thought in this story how important this Barabbas piece is. He was a known criminal, already found guilty, waiting to be executed. Can you imagine the jailer walking into Barabbas' cell and saying, you can go free. What do you mean I can go free? Well, they just released you. They're going to crucify Jesus instead. May I just say that you are Barabbas? You are guilty. Oh, but I haven't done what Barabbas, no, you're guilty. I'm guilty. I'm Barabbas. What does it feel like to know you're not getting what you deserve? What does it feel like to see someone else who is innocent willfully take your cross to the hill when you know they didn't do it? You know you did it, but they're going to receive the punishment that you deserve. Barabbas had to feel amazed by this. Then the story unfolds in verse 18, if you have your Bible there. They saluted him in mockery. They taunted, hail the king of the Jews. They struck him on the head with a reed stick. They spit on him. They dropped to their knees. They, they mocked him in worship. When they finally got tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe and put on his own clothes again and they led him away to be crucified. See, here's the thing. Have you, have you guys ever seen one of those movies where it starts with a scene where someone is brutally torturous to a family or someone, and you know the movie is setting you up to get that guy before the movie's over and butcher him? <laughs> you, don't, you don't watch movies like that? Okay, sorry. 
I don't either. I Sesame Street's as far as I go, but <laughs> but like revenge movies, let's face it, they do. They set it up for you to just you just can't stand this person, and you're thinking at the end they're going to get even. And when they do, you're smiling. Everything humanly possible in you that wants revenge. Every painful strike feels good to you. Why? Because that's the human nature. Can you imagine? Can you imagine having all these things happen to you, knowing you are innocent? And here's the thing. You have the power to call fire down from heaven and wipe all of these people out. I would have done it. (laughs) Boom, like that it would have been over. Sorry, God, let's try this again in a decade or two. Because I'm innocent. I don't deserve this. Jesus, hear me, this is so important. Jesus did not call fire from heaven. He did not call 10,000 angels to save him. He took the strikes. He took the pain. He took it all. Why? Because he had you in mind. He had a passion that said, I'm tired of the sacrifices of mankind. I will lay down my life like a lamb and I will be slaughtered because I love my creation and I'm doing it for them. When you believe that, when you get that in your heart, it changes how you feel about your Savior, Jesus Christ. Why? Because love is greater than power. He had the power, but his love was greater. Don't ever forget that. Wow. Well, let's let's move to the last point. Will we learn from others' experience? This is a, a, a random story in Scripture that's always been one of my favorite little pictures or images. It says, when the Roman officer who stood facing him, facing Jesus, saw how Jesus died, he exclaimed, this man truly was the Son of God. Okay, had this man seen people crucified? Uh, Yeah. He's the Roman officer who calls for the whipping, who calls for the death, who calls for the sword. He has probably seen hundreds of people crucified. He's calloused. This is a guy who you would not expect to have any emotion about anything. But what happened? What did he see? I'll tell you what he saw. He saw love over power. He saw greatness in a man who loved the people who were killing him. And he had never seen that before in all the years he had had this job. Never. Not even once. That's why he said, this is a different guy. (laughs) This, this man, yeah, he is, in fact, the son of God. I've seen them all, but I've never seen this. I don't know why, but that does my heart good to know that a non-believing bystander would make a prophetic proclamation about Jesus Christ being the Son of God. What did he see? What did he hear? Why did he say it? You guys, there are three things I want to wrap up with to remember when you go through painful times in your life. 
There are more than three, but I just want to give you three. And I, want to, I hope you'll remember these. Write them down. If you are going through a painful time right now in your life, think about these three things. Number one, I want you to remember that God is with me still. No, I ran away from God. Doesn't matter. He ran with you. No, I, I, I cursed him and said, forget it. Oh, yeah, he's used to that. He doesn't really bother him. He, he stays on your trail. You can't shake him. You can't break free. He, he's got your scent. He knows where you're going to go. He knows what you're going to think. And he's chasing you down. He never gives up. God is with me still. The one promise he gave us when he left the earth was he would never leave us or forsake us. You can try to run, but you'll, you'll never get away from him. Number two, I always like to remember that my suffering may have a purpose beyond my knowledge. You say, well, you don't know this was my doing. I'm, I'm the idiot. I made the mistake. I know. Usually that's the case with me too. But even when I make stupid decisions, even when I choose to do something disobedient to God, God doesn't let me waste it. He can still use it for his purpose. It doesn't mean it's good, and it doesn't mean I don't have to face consequences for my actions, because I do, and I have, but God is still with me. And God still uses those decisions in my life. I've seen it time and time again. God wastes nothing. Listen, he doesn't create the pain in your life, but he will use it if you surrender to him. Everything that you are, I promise you, that's just how God is. And then the last thing is, do not become like those abusing me, meaning you. Don't become your abuser. Say, well, you don't understand what they did to me. No, I know, but that, that idea that you want to do it back to them is where hate and evil and anger and bitterness stays and lives in your life. And you can't move on. You get stuck there. People get stuck there. Thousands of people are stuck there. It's the, it's the get even motto of our culture. You write this to me and I'm going to fire it right back to you. You say that to me, I'm going to say more to you. You push me, I'll push you twice. Jesus said, let it go. And this is kind of the heart of the prayer that I want us to have today together. What makes it possible to let go of anger and hate so that I don't become like those people? Jesus did not become like those soldiers who crucified him. He did not become like those religious people who hated him and cursed him and spit on him. Wow. What have you become? Let's, let's bow our heads for a moment. Lord, who are we becoming? I'm going to ask you, this is a hard question, but here in our, in our South Living Room as well with traditions today, please respond honestly to this question. Is there someone you want to suffer? I hope they get what's coming to them. Well, God is just. Maybe you could leave it in his hands. His judgment may be more harsh than yours, by the way. But he is just, and you can trust him. But for your future, you need to decide to move on beyond that hate and that bitterness 
and that woundedness as you hold on to the arms of God and let him pull you out of that muck and mire. If you know you've got to let go of some of that resentment today, and it's just the start. I'm not going to rush you out of it. It's just the start. It's a seed of hope God's planting in you right now. Would you just seal it by lifting a hand to God and saying, I'm in for that one, God. Would you heal me? Would you help me? Would you satisfy this itch in me? That You can put your hands right back down. This is just for you to acknowledge, Lord, it's where I'm at. I want that. Don't know how to get there, but I trust you. This doesn't undo the evil that has been done to you. And believe me, God is just, and he will have his way, and they will have their day with God. But you, you are free. You are free. Lord, I pray this in your powerful name, that freedom would come to the captive hearts who are holding on, and you would release them. Even today, begin a true release of that in their lives. Secondly, how many of you are suffering today? It's not a grudge or something. It's just that you are in a painful week. It's a painful time in your life. You're questioning, where are you, God? What has happened? I don't know where you went. I love you, but I'm, I'm, I'm discouraged. I'm lonely. Would you just say, God, that's me. That's where I'm at. And I need you today. I need you. Reveal yourself to me. Lord, I pray for those I pray for those in these auditoriums today that there would be hope, a seed of hope that would be planted in a real way in their soul. Lord, I can't do that. No human can do that. But the Holy Spirit can plant a seed in someone today. Let him plant that in you. And finally, those who need to declare your life to Jesus Christ, he did it for you and your response hopefully is thank you I receive salvation can't earn it don't deserve it but I can say thank you God for taking my sin thank you that I got out of jail that I was Barabbas but now I'm free and I have a future Lord I thank you we thank you for this today we pray this over our lives and our families. Give us an amazing week to remember your suffering, which will make next Sunday all the sweeter when we announce that you have risen from the dead and we are free. In Jesus' name, amen.